You're recording live today from Sage Music here in Long Island City, a school that turns people of all ages from students into musicians. The school has a unique curriculum which teachers focus personal attention and utilize a holistic approach to teaching every student. The school is owned by inspirational Iraq War veteran Jason Sagabiel, who offers classes in guitar, piano, cello, violin, and voice. Also check out the recently opened new location in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. To learn more about Sage Music, visit www.sagemusic.co.co. We're also brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash improvnoise. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. This is Improv Noise. And in order to get started, we need a suggestion of something you can't eat. Improv Noise. This week, we sit down with Sean Conroy. Enjoy. Improv Noise. That was really cool that you said that one of your one of things that you like to go over or like go towards is the idea of like relaxing uh, and letting it find you. Um, I think that's really cool, man. I think it's kind of like the old school like Greek plays where the first couple lines were like, "Oh muses, oh muses, come find me," you know, "Come use me." It's like whatever, you know, <laughs> and which is sound weird when I when I read it. But, like, thinking about it, it's kind of true. It has to, you have to be open, be an open channel for it to come through. Do you vibe on any of that? Sure. Okay, cool. cool. I memorized uh, the beginning of the, uh, the Odyssey in Greek. So No way. Sing for me, O muse, of man who is ingenious, who has experienced very many things after sacking the sacred citadel of Troy. You know, that kind of thing. Nice. <laughs> so Damn, you, that's incredible. So if you ever get stuck in an improv scene, you got that in your back pocket. <laughs> sure. Let's do the rest of the podcast in Greek. Is that okay with the listeners? Yeah, push I the SAP button. On Nothing better than a podcast in a dead language. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's super cool. So, uh, with relaxing, there's always that like balance because I want to be relaxed when I play, and I want to like not feel like tensed, and I don't want to feel like th- my choices are already made by my like my energy that I bring in. But then I also don't want to be so like lazy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And finding that balance in between is something that I've been looking for. Uh, I think you have to learn to trust yourself, you know, and trust that things will happen whether you want them to or not. I feel like a lot of times people force things to happen and it feels forced and that's a way to play and that's fine if you're super funny super good at it and make great choices all the time um but to me that always feels a little pressed and a little bit like somebody's trying a little too hard Mm-hmm. Are we, did we start already, by the yeah, way? Yeah, we were into it. We just, <laughs> just wanted to make sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Everything's, everything's you great. didn't say, like, okay, we're starting. <laughs> yeah, so. there is that was a, our fault. Did, we're still working on. Yeah, well, the sound effects for the starting gun uh-huh. gets added later. <laughs> I see. So you'll, you'll, you'll hear it. Uh, we usually start podcasts by asking our guests, um, like, what's the, like, of all the many things, like an improv scene, improv, and yada, yada, what's, like, the one thing that you as a performer usually look out for? as far as when you approach a scene or, or, or when you're looking at scene work, what is the one thing that you really like to go for? That's uh, usually Brad's question. No, I think it's you to great. Yeah. I think, I don't know if I really have an answer for that because I would say the thing I look out for is the thing that's most interesting to me. And that seems very self-evident, but 
that's what I'm always looking for is what's the most interesting thing to me in any scene? What do I want to follow up on? You know? And sometimes that's exactly what the scene is about. And sometimes it's a little detail that has nothing to do with what the scene's about. Mm-hmm. And that's tough luck for the scene, you know, because <laughs> I'm going to go in that direction anyway. So you're saying what the scene's about. So if, say the first interesting thing that pops up to you usually becomes the focus of what the scene is about. Or, or what I, what I play in the scene, right. you know, if, <clears throat> if the scene is like, I'll give you an example that happened recently in an ass cat show. Uh, the monologist did a monologue about his brothers uh, being on acid and dressing up in costumes to scare him when he got home (laughs) and him not really realizing till later what the experience must have been like for them to be tripping on acid dressed as a Confederate soldier just (laughs) standing in a darkened room waiting for half an hour for somebody to come home. (laughs) So two people initiated a scene and the scene was one guy who had gotten dressed up or or had like covered himself in blood and animal body parts and was waiting for somebody to come home and the other guy going, well, he's not home yet. I don't know what you want to do. So I then thought it would be, you know, so that's a scene between two guys that's happening in that place. And to me, what was interesting also was to hear from the guy who wasn't home yet Right. So I did a, you know, I called in on the phone, had their phone <laughs> ring, and I was the guy saying, I'm almost home, but I forgot something at work, so I have to go back to work, so I'll be home in another half an hour. <laughs> and then, to me, what was funny about that, and this obviously has nothing to do with what's going on in the scene, but what was funny about that was, to me, then calling them again to say I was back at work, and I found the thing, and I was bringing it home. Like, <laughs> a guy who was over-explaining to them what he was going through, yeah. while they just wanted him to get home so they could scare the shit out of him. Um, so that's not really what the scene was about, but that was what I chose to focus on in that scene. So you called and mentioned it as opposed to wait till you got there and told them in person, pretty much? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like stuff you would never want to hear from anybody, especially when you're really waiting for them to get home because you're covered in blood and animal parts, <laughs> you know? Uh, I like that. To me, it also definitely, because it sounds like the tension in that scene was was the before your arrival, like the mm-hmm. actual. So to me, that sounds like a couple of ways just to extend that tension, too, of just not coming. Mm-hmm. There's more opportunities to have you not it, It's come. like it's being in the scene without actually being in the scene. <laughs> right, right. And right. it felt like, I mean, I and, you know, always everything in this is a judgment call. And it's like, this was my judgment. And other people could say you were wrong and it was their scene and you should have let them do the scene. But I felt like the fact of his absence was so present in the scene that it needed to be addressed and ratcheted up. So that not only was he not there yet, but he wasn't going to be coming for a while. So that made things worse for those guys. (laughs) And then he was you know, boring them with the banal details of the fact that he would be there soon, but he wasn't there yet, which they already knew. So to me, that stuff was all was all funny. <laughs> yeah, that's following the fun, right? Mm-hmm. Just to what you what you want and go for it. Um, I feel like an ASCAP form is built for that kind of mm-hmm. right, or am I? Would I be? I'm I mean, I think that, right? I think any long form form hopefully leaves room for that kind of thing. Um, but ASCAP is definitely a show that 
it's always about what's the most interesting thing in the room, whether that's something that's going on in the scene or whether that's an audience member making a weird noise in, right. in, in the audience. You know, you want to address that and make it part of what's being done on stage. And speaking of ASCAT, uh, we're seated here with Mr. Sean Conroy, uh, improv So we're starting now. <laughs> we're going to cut up until this moment. Okay. I'm um, about to read a bio I didn't approve with you, so this will be fun. Oh, okay. Uh, an ASCAT regular uh, <laughs> who's uh, played ASCAT for many years, including on the DVD, uh, as well as in L.A. And uh, you do ASCATs from New York as well. And always doing ASCAT-ish. Yeah, yeah. Always doing ASCATs. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, also a founding member of the legendary improv team, The Swarm. Yes. Just played for many years, including their five-year stint in New York City with the show Slow Waltz Around Rage Mountain. Yes. And currently it's still playing in L.A. Are you guys yeah, we're doing, we LA, do a show right? once a month in LA, yeah. oh, cool. um, which is really fun. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, also, have a couple podcasts yourself. Um, the uh, Long Shot. The Long Shot. Which you co-host Wonderful with. podcast. Yeah. Check it out. <laughs> I love it. I really enjoy the podcast. <clears throat> oh, and thanks. then Sean Conroy presents The Flabbergast. Only one episode of that podcast exists, <laughs> but there's more coming in 2014. Sweet. Great. I can't Only, wait. I, I, do, I do at least one new half hour every two years. Sweet. So Great. Just I a can. little bit of a tease uh, for now. No, all, all kidding aside, I did sign a deal... Uh, with a production company this year to put out more episodes of that and you know they have like you know I have a contract that I have to put out a certain number of sketches for them so nice. I will actually have to do something that will get you to stop procrastinating yeah. <laughs> dude that's all I need man. deadlines yeah, deadlines are so important yeah so dude. look for more of the flabbergast in 2014 awesome and also on improv for humans a frequent yes. guest on Matt Besser's improv for humans I do that show a lot uh, also various television writing and performing credits including Key and Peele recently sure. and mm-hmm. you're writing a new adult swim show Mr. Pickles right coming out <laughs> Finished writing that. It won't come out until October of 2014, but I think when it does, people are going to be pleasantly surprised. I think it's going to blow people's minds. It's a crazy show. Excellent. It's a crazy show. You can you can actually watch the pilot on YouTube. Oh, really? And I guarantee you, it will blow your mind. Sweet. It's insane. I <coughs> I, I'm going to do that tonight. And everyone listening to this, go to YouTube, put in Mr. Pickles in the search. It's the first thing that comes up if you search Mr. Pickles. Sit back, relax, and get ready for some Uh, mind-blowing. It's just a a show about a normal family that has a dog, and the dog is sort of like Lassie. That's Mr. Pickles. Okay. And he's like Lassie, except he worships Satan, and he's a serial killer. Nice. I like it already. Uh, And uh, last but not least, longtime faculty member the Upright System Brigade Training Center, right? Certainly not least. (laughs) But definitely last. (laughs) Yeah, cool. so taught there for a long time. Yeah, needless to say, we're super excited to have you on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So what's one thing that uh, baffles you when you're watching improv that you just like, something that that's still to this day is just like, I mean, I don't know if I'll ever have a 100% grasp of like doing improv since it, it is so random and day-to-day, but is there something that still baffles you? Why anybody would do it? <laughs> All right, <laughs> I'm still debating. Really? Like I'm not yeah. going to make a buck. Really off though, of it. like that sounds so crazy. Well, it's putting a tremendous amount of time and effort into something completely ephemeral True. that disappears immediately and that no one will ever see again. Yeah, I went through a very cynical period where I started calling it throwing diamonds in the ocean <laughs> because I felt like we were doing really good work, but no one was aware of it or cared about it or ever saw it. And that was very frustrating to me. Um, However, 
you know, that aside, it is the most fun I have creatively when I'm with the people that I enjoy playing with the right. most, you know, which is primarily the swarm, but then also sometimes ASCAT, uh, just goes that way, you know, yeah. depending on who's there. Yeah, there are, I mean, there are formats though that do record it, as we mentioned before, Improv for Humans. I like to rec- audio record the sets I do mm-hmm. just so I have something because I was getting so frustrated because mm-hmm. it was just like, no matter what you did, good or bad, it was like gone. Right. Uh, I mean, I think that's fine. And, 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 you know, Improv for Humans is good and it's fun to listen to. Another great podcast. It's just not the same as the experience that people have in the room with people improvising. That's so true. You know, um, I mean, that's why it's never really worked as a television format. True. The, the Ask Had DVD was, was good. You know, I liked uh, what I saw of it. I've never watched the whole thing, hmm. but it's just not the same experience. Mm. No, it's absolutely. Not. It's very much a live art form, you yeah, know? even more so, I think, than stand-up comedy. It's something that has to be. There's an energy and an electricity in the room that you're aware of that you're not aware of when you're watching it secondhand. And do you tie that back to following the most interesting thing? Yeah, in the room, I think so. I think you, like a... you, when you're in the room, you are aware of everything that's going on in that room. Right, and when you're not. That's just not the case. So it still can be entertaining and funny and fun, but it's not that visceral experience of this is a thing that is occurring in this moment right now, you know? Yeah, it's hard to bottle it up. Right. Do you, um, as far as improv, uh, as far as like, uh, I've heard it referred to as empty calories, you know? Mm-hmm. Like it's uh, incredibly fulfilling in the moment, but then when it's done with, it's done with. Like right. you didn't, you didn't write anything new. No. Nothing happened. You no. didn't, you didn't progress. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I would, I would look at it like this and this is where it gets like weirdly self-important and philosophical and, you know, I'm, I'm doing amazing things in the world, <laughs> none of which is true, but Got a great beard. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, I mean, I, I took a stand-up class years and years ago, probably 20 years ago at this point, or more than that, more than 20 years ago. And the teacher uh, talked about, what, you know, he said, you have to figure out why you do comedy. Why are you doing this? What's okay. the reason for it? And if it's because you want pussy, that's fine. Anyway. But just be aware of that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And if it's, you know, if it's that you want money, that's fine, too. Just be aware of that. And um, I, of course, didn't want either of those things, so that's not why I was doing comedy. But I sort of sat down and was like, why do I want to do this? Well, I want to, you know, I want (laughs) to, this sounds so ridiculous, but it's like I want to create joy in other people's lives. So if you look at it that way, if you look at it as this is a creation of joy in people's lives, that in that moment, whether or not they walk away with it, with going, oh, my God, I'm so happy right now. But in that moment, giving people that gift, that's important. You know, that's something. Absolutely. That's, um. Uh, uh, to take it back to me for a minute. That's uh, please. Let's <laughs> take it away from me. <laughs> no, I have memories growing up that whenever I was down, I'd always put on like a sitcom or something that would cheer me up, make mm-hmm. me feel so much better. And I never forget that. And I think that's a huge motivator to why it's why I do comedy as well. Yeah, and I there's totally something there's something also about look, we're all fucking alone, man. We're we're born alone we're gonna die alone <laughs> totally it's a lonely world so that communion that you create with an audience and amongst an audience is a valuable thing too where everybody is connected in that moment of like we all agree on this thing you know we're watching this thing and we all agree that it's funny and that we're enjoying it right now that's a big be- a big deal too you know yeah um, that's the real product i think of comedy 
because the performance itself is a performance, but if it doesn't connect, it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't deliver. You know what I mean? But that's that, that is part of the beauty of the the shared space is that you can receive feedback instantly and like. Well, that's what makes improv so disposable and so simple in a way. It's like you have that instant editor of the audience, and if something's not working, you just go in a different direction. Yeah. And if it is working, you play it out, and then you're done. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like stand up where. You try a joke and it doesn't work and it doesn't work and it doesn't work and then you finally figure out a way to make it work. Um, mm-hmm. Improv, you have one one shot, like Eminem said. Ah, damn! <laughs> one, one shot, one opportunity. And when when you do a joke and it works, you know it works, right? Mm-hmm. You can take that, you'll know it'll work practically everywhere. Right. With improv, you can do it for what twenty, twenty five years. You still do stuff you think will work and it just won't work, right? Well, people do, not me. <laughs> Others, yeah. <laughs> Others, maybe contemporaries. No, I've heard of people like that. Oh, yeah, I've heard the rumors. I've seen it. <laughs> I've seen it. Mm-hmm. It's never happened to me either. I no. always some pinpoint yeah. know what's going on, but like I've heard, I've seen it happen to other people, and it's rough. Yeah, but no, it's funny how like an audience, there's an energy there to like you can't quite grasp entirely, so you can't dictate exactly if things will work or not. Mm-hmm. You just have edu- everything you do is an educated guess, right? And the right. more you do it, the more educated your guess is. Right, you know? right. Um, wow. But it's still a guess ultimately. Mm-hmm. Forgot to mention too that you are, you also do stand up comedy. Very oh. accomplished stand up comic. <laughs> you have a full album. Download my album from seanconroy.com. It's free. Nice. So help I've yourself. Heard great things. Oh, I will you. listen to it. Thank you. Download it twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that leads to another thing. So with mm-hmm. improv being um, something that. Is, is it's just like a lot of effort and it really doesn't give there's no product to it for right. the most part um, do you see it maybe as a tool that you use for your other work yeah I do and I think in that sense it has prepared me very very well for some of the stuff that I do I mean just working on this Mr. Pickles show this year it's always so funny to say mm-hmm. Mr. Pickles um, you know I was the I was the head writer so I was in the room and you know, that's a weird job because you're trying to keep people on track, but also trying to let people be as creative as possible. Um, and so some of the skills that I developed improvising came in very handy when we were trying to, for example, write dialogue in scenes. Mm-hmm. To just improvise dialogue and go and have a, you know, have a two or three person conversation by myself and have a writer's assistant there writing it all down and then, you know, doing it off the top of my head and then going back and going, what of this stuff works and what doesn't? What do we need to keep and what can we get rid of, you know? Um, you have conversations out loud by yourself? Yeah. Oh, yeah. interesting. And you encompass the different characters you're yeah, looking for? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, everybody kind of does that, you know, pitches right. different stuff. Um, it was a small writer's room. The most people we ever had in there was like eight people. Hmm. Um, but I felt for myself like I was really well prepared to do that. I think... The reason I felt that way is because I've been doing improv for 25 years. Yeah, you know, I like an improv to like the gym. You go and mm-hmm. you do your reps, you do your sets, and you do get bigger, you get better, you get stronger in whatever way. Mm-hmm. You can't bring that with you, you right. know, those skills. Right. Um, and I, I do plan to get back to the gym. <laughs> <Soon>. <laughs> I have plan of fitness. <laughs> Me to too, dude. <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> I joined the Y and then I went once and I haven't been back in three months. Uh, I've tried gyms. I've tried in college. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm not going to lie to myself. I ain't mm-hmm. going to go to a gym regularly, ever. But the way I do it is I walk. And that's something I need to get my, I need to get my ass up and start walking again. That's great, though. And that's, uh, New York is great for that. Yeah. I've uh, noticed the difference just since I've been home. Yeah. I thought I meant me. Drive everywhere in, in, in LA, you know? Yeah. 
Uh, if, um, yeah, going up and down the subway steps. Yeah. Starting, yeah. Speaking of uh, driving, which has engines, <laughs> and uh, do you consider improv scenes to have engines? And by engines, I mean what keeps the scene moving and keeping it forward and keeps the audience's interest. Like uh, a, an example of an engine could be the game of a scene mm-hmm. or dramatic action where the characters change and, like, you know, we learn something new or a discovery could be... Uh, part of that engine mm-hmm. do you do you think in those terms i think in terms of game of the scene i mean i i came up through the ecb system that's what i was trained in right. that's what i have trained people in that's how i look at scenes is what's the game what's the interesting or funny fun thing how do we explore that how do we heighten it if this is true then what else is true and i think to me that's what always drives scenes um whether it has any of that other stuff it could it might not but if i'm if the scene is working for me, it's because there's a clear game of the scene and I am aware of what it is and playing it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and the the opposite of that is also true. If a scene is not working for me, it's because I'm not sure what the game of the scene is and I'm not aware of exactly what I'm doing. I'm looking for it and I'm trying to do that thing we talked about before, maybe even before we started the podcast. I don't know when the scene... I don't we even just, know if it started just, now. We just started. We'll start when you're done but, saying uh, <laughs> That thing of like letting it come to you versus forcing it to happen. Because it's right. an uncomfortable feeling to be in the middle of a scene and go, I don't know exactly what's happening here. Yeah, yeah And absolutely. that can lead to pressing, that can lead to pushing, that can lead to forcing, and... That's when I get most uncomfortable, you know, and and I try my best. I don't always succeed, but I try my best to just relax in those moments and play the reality of the scene and trust that something will come because it generally will. Um, But then sometimes you just have no choice and you start shooting a machine gun or, you know. (laughs) drop an F-bomb or whatever the case may be, just to get something to happen. Nice. Yeah. I give birth. That's my go-to. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Hidden I crucify pregnancy. myself. Uh, I am, um, yeah. I, 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 I like that you guys bookended birth and death. <laughs> you know? Totes. Yeah. That's why wow. we work t- together. Um, I, I, my assignment over the next six months right now, my improv assignment, is to really be able to define game and my scene to a, to a T. Mm-hmm. Like I, whenever the game always helps me. Whenever I play, I always tell myself verbally what the game is. I say it in a sentence in my head. I'm like, the mm-hmm. game, the scene is blah 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 blah. And then when I have that, I know I, I can play the game. I know what's going on. I can do the game moves. I can heighten it. I feel great. Right. However, I feel maybe because I'm not super strong of a writerly mind or I can't verbalize so well, a lot of times I find myself in fun scene work and the scene goes okay, but I'm really mad at myself because I couldn't define what the game was to myself. Right. So when I try to apply it to a second beat or something, I, I miss the mark. Or maybe I'm, I'm, a, I'm a reapplying something else that wasn't what was seen as the game. You know. Right. So what? I, I think that's healthy, by the way. I think you should be angry at yourself as much as possible. That's a good extreme. That's a good characteristic. You know? That's that's how I learn when I get I, angry. I've lived that way myself. for over forty years, and uh, I'm still furious at myself. And that's what gets me through the day. You know? I, I, I've learned that that when I learn, it's because to be serious, I just every day. I learned that when I learn is because I get so pissed off at myself for doing it wrong over and over again. Yeah. That's when the jump happens. And that's yeah. when I push. No, never give yourself a break. Please, don't. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I know what you're saying. I think that's just a thing that comes with time. You yeah. Know? I think doing it over and over and over again is is how you get better at it. Like, I can remember when I started doing... Long form. I had done short form for a long time. Right. With Chicago City Limits. Correct. And 
So I was very savvy to being on stage and having presence and, you know, I, I still am not positive about upstage and downstage, but I could probably make some <laughs> educated guesses. But starting doing long form was just a whole other thing. And the weird thing was when I started taking classes with UCB, they knew that I performed in this other show. So they would occasionally, if there weren't enough people for ASCAT, they would throw me into ASCAT and I just had no clue what I was doing. So it was like, you know, jump. I I have specific memories of jumping into scenes. Like I know what it is. And then being so completely wrong, you know, in front of this rabid ASCAT audience and just being like crushed, you know, absolutely crushed by that. Um, but after a while, that went away, and I started to really be aware of, okay, this is the game of the scene. This is what I can do to heighten it. This is what I can do to explore it. This is what I can do to take it in a different direction. This is what I can do to reinforce it, make it stronger, make it bigger, um, rebuild it, make it the $6 million scene. Nice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I really do like game because it does narrow down what choices you can make and uh, kind of limits the the spectrum of everything which could be in an improv scene Mm -hmm. so if i know what the game is like you said all of those things were really awesome you can heighten you can explore you can back it up you can make it build bigger um or if you're completely aware of it you probably make an educated move to do a little bit of a side game like your call-in from the ASCAT. yeah absolutely and not step on that game's toes right and just have fun you know like that's to me the main thing i know i hate having fun it's like all these things of like I'm I'm figuring out what the game is in my head like and you have to go through that sure, right, but yeah. you want to get to the point where you I mean not to quote the UCB too much but mm-hmm. don't think you don't want to think anymore right to me that's the point I've gotten to pretty much most of the time when I'm improvising awesome. is I'm unconscious you know mm-hmm. it's like uh, people always talk about meditating and clearing your mind and I feel like that's where I'm at most of the time when I'm improvising on stage is just that's when I'm at what, that's when I'm least angry at myself. <laughs> the sweet release. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, uh, you, you tend to um, do with Swarm, you guys do organic, right? You just take a word and go. Yeah, Where a lot of time. ASCAT's entirely premise. It's like the premise right. machine. Right. So I noticed you, you hop back and forth between organic and premise relatively regularly. Is it the same when you play with an organic set with the Swarm versus a premise ASCAT No, show? it's not at all the same. It's very, very different. Uh, just to finish, like, how yeah. you feel. Not like, I understand the approach is different. Like, right. No, no, no. I, I would say I feel yeah. more, if I'm going to be in my head, it's going to be during a, a, an ASCAT show, you okay. know? Because there is more thinking involved in that show. There's more... There's more math to be done in that show of like, okay, they said this in their monologue, so how am I going to turn that into the premise for a scene? Or the flip side of that is going out with somebody and them going, you know, welcome to the store. I know you want to buy pants. And you in your head going, what are they taking that from? What's the game that they're going for? What are they... Now, that said, I've gotten to the point where I'm pretty relaxed with that too, so it's not that bad. But if I ever am in my head, it's because I'm doing that very specific premise-based improv. Which, by the way, I feel like, and this is just me editorializing, I feel like the long-form community has swung, in my experience, so far in the direction of premise-based improv Mm. that it's, this is true at least in Los Angeles, it's much harder to find people who are just doing organic stuff anymore. Right. People are all, everybody wants to come on stage with 
their amazing premise that's going to crush <laughs> from the moment it comes out of their mouths. And I think right. that's, I think that's really hard. It's it difficult. is. This is very hard. Uh, and I would be curious to how you go about forming a premise. Mm-hmm. Like, Lordy, um, if I did a, a monologue about how this uh, kid um, on the way to school would fart, and so then he progressively got pushed farther and farther towards the bus driver because the kids hated him and he smelt, but he was never embarrassed. He was always like, was like sticking at two people, like in his own nerdy way by farting. Mm-hmm. How would you how would you go about starting to do that math and to do to form a, a little baby premise? I think I would start to think about it in terms of what's the second beat of that scene. Wow, and. It would be him as an adult, and he works as a bank teller, and <clears throat> you know the other bank tellers are horrified by how he smells, and he's being you know edged out of his job or moved into this safe deposit vault or something, and it's all because of the fact that he that he smells badly, you know, mm-hmm. and and so what's the scene? Maybe the scene is with the bank manager sitting him down and going something I need to talk to you about, you know, we're, we're, we're moving you into the safe deposit vault. Great. I love that. You know, I'm going to be able to sit down all day. No, no, no. It's not a promotion. It's not a good thing. You know, we're doing that because something like that, you know? Nice. Cool. So you immediately look to, to, okay, if, uh, uh, if an idea is interesting to you, say from a story, your, your, your initial instinct is to heighten that. How do we start at that heightened yeah, already? I think so. And then that's how you pull. Because the thing you don't want to see is, you know, a scene taking place on the bus of like, oh my God, Tommy, you farted again. You got to move up closer to the bus driver. Right. You know, there's a whole other area to go to, which is like the bus driver getting home from work at the end of the day and <laughs> complaining to his wife about how he wants to kill himself because every time there's a kid the other kids don't like, that kid gets pushed up closer <laughs> to him. him. Right. And why is that fair? I thought, like a... the, I thought the undesirable kids are supposed to go towards the back of the bus. That's <laughs> right. hey. the island of misfits mm-hmm. scene. Uh, so one choice is heightening, and the other choice is sidestepping, or I don't know. Or, yeah, if you want to call it or that, sure. Yeah, like, or just like what term. another? Yes. Yeah. Um, it's from my, like what's my another, dictionary available what's another, online. What's another piece of information in the scene that was interesting, and how could you explore that? You know? Nice. Yeah. So if uh, you came home and you're like, uh, "Honey, I'm home. Um, I got to hang up my bus driver hat." And that was clunky. But if the partner would be like, "Oh, mm. where was that in the monologue?" Right. It's the bus driver. Right. That gets you know, or it's the scene of the kid going home to dinner and going, "Can we please not have broccoli and eggs for dinner tonight, Mom? (laughs) It's really affecting my social life, (laughs) Mm -hmm. honey. It's both of those things are so healthy for you. Broccoli is great because it has greens in it, and it's you know, and the kid just being like." (laughs) Mom, you don't understand. My instinct, <laughs> instinct to walk in as the farting dad, right. the farting family, right? Right. They're like, oh, you don't want to hear any of that. I don't care. You don't worry about what kids think about you. It's what's inside that matters or something. So I think it's always about, like, in this instance, we're talking about telling a story on stage. It's always about deconstructing that story and going, what are the threads that make this up? And how can I explore one of those threads? You know, Fucking cool, man. That's awesome. And so if I can swing around to the other side of that, which is organic. Mm-hmm. That's playing without a safety net. If 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 it's, do you think it's okay to call a premise a little bit of a safety net? Uh, I don't know because you still have to explore it in a way that's entertaining. Truth. You know, um, you're still making up the comedy on the spot. I mean, it's a safety net just in terms of uh, the way I've heard it talked about is 
why wouldn't you want to get to the funniest thing immediately? Why wouldn't you want to be jumping on with that moment that hits the audience so hard? And I, I always counter that by saying, I always counter that in the imaginary arguments I have with those people (laughs) in my head. It's a lonely life. Just like you said, (laughs) I think there's something really impressive about an improviser walking on stage and laying out a premise that is amazing. I also think there's a wonderful moment that happens when the improvisers and the audience all discover what the scene is about at the same time. Mm-hmm. And everybody has that holy shit moment together. You yeah. Know? Um, and to me, that's one of the great beauties of improv as an art form is we all figured this out at the same time. You yeah. Know? And even in a premise, your scene partner figures it out at the same time the audience does. Mm-hmm. You may see it coming. Mm-hmm. But uh, I I, kind of, I like to think of improv as jazz, very similar in a way. Uh, and that premise would be like, hey, guys, this is the uh, hook that we're going to play. Or this is these are the, the, the notes that we're going to be hitting. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas an organic opening would just be like, hey, let's roll up into it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that's that's a fair comparison? Sure. Cool. So it's like gym and jazz. It's like a jazz gym. Yeah. <laughs> improv is like a gym where jazz is played. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, uh, that's definitely – It's going back earlier what you said with, with how the long-form community is, is, is leaning towards premise, uh, totally. I think a lot of the, the teams at UCB here in New York, like on Herald Night, and a lot of the weekend teams, they do premise. But what's interesting is that the entire indie community, which is usually comprised a lot of starter teams and younger performers, it's almost entirely organic. So I always find that very interesting that that uh, they study premise in class, and they study both, but uh, that a lot of the, um, uh, the Herald teams and Lloyd teams as well here in New York, uh, it's mainly pattern game openings and various openings, so it's premise. However, a lot of the practicing they do in the indie community, indie teams, is entirely organic. So there's a weird sort of double brain thing going on. Like I realize I play a lot of organic. Then all of a sudden I have to get ready for an audition or something and I have to start running pattern games and stuff. I realize that's I should have I should be on a premise team, you know. I should be doing premise. If you want to get on a premise. If I want to get good at premise. Rather if I play organic, I get good at organic. Well, I think in a sense it's harder to get good at premise because you do have to really identify how the scene is going to be funny. It's almost like writing something ahead of time. Um, Whereas with organic improv, you can sort of meander a little bit and take your time. Now, I will say that's why I think what I like to call the motherfucking swarm is so amazing (laughs) because we developed the skill early on of doing stuff without a premise but immediately picking up on what it was about and heightening it so fast, you would almost think it was planned out from the beginning, you know? Um, I saw I saw you guys do a show at DCM over the summer, and I remember, very, I remember the whole set, but you and Billy Merritt sat down and were immediately, you guys were just seated on chairs and immediately established yourself as co-hosts of an elevator podcast. Do you remember that? <laughs> yes. And I'm just like, holy shit, they're seated, they're not moving. Everything they're about to do is be entirely verbal. Mm-hmm. They have to, have to improvise entire podcasts about being two elevator operators. Mm-hmm. And it was incredible. I'm just like, Jesus Christ, how did they do it that? It was incredible, wasn't it? <laughs> it was it really so cool. was. I don't know. So I'm just like, that is incredible. But I mean, I, you know, whether it was incredible or not, I appreciate you saying that. But 
it is a thing where with those guys in particular, I feel like we have just developed this thing where everybody knows where everybody is. And there's never a moment of like, wait, what's he doing? Why is he doing that? Why does he feel (laughs) that way? Who is he supposed to be? We're always just right there. It's, it's the, you know, that, that five, you you talked about how we had our show for five years, slow waltz around rage mountain, right? Which by the way, stands for the swarm or Mm. the swarm stands for that. Um, (laughs) a lot of people never realize that. Uh, but that was one of the most fulfilling creative experiences of my life because I just loved being with those guys, you know, be, having that much trust and that much faith and that much uh, trust invested in me. People knowing that, you know, I was going to it was like being in a motorcycle. It was like Sons of Anarchy, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Uh, the other guys always had my back, you know, Um <laughs> Except we didn't have motorcycles or leather vests. No, yeah, you guys do in your show now, but you guys didn't. Then, yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Love your motorcycle. Now we have stuff. now we have some money. So, <laughs> yeah, like again, going back to that show, I saw it was Delaney and Billy, Michael Delaney and Billy Merritt. But he said he did such a strong choice downstage right, where he just immediately sat down to the character choice and Billy Merritt. It seemed like they both did the strong character choices at the same time, mm-hmm. and they placed themselves in like eighteen hundreds. Like at a debutante, getting ready for a debutante ball or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think Michael Delaney was either the mother or the daughter getting ready or something. I was just amazed that it was such a strong choice. And with anyone else, you'd see the strong choice being done first and everyone following suit. It just seemed like you guys were making those choices at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. And that comes with time and group mind. Did right? you think the debutante scene was better than the elevator podcast? No, scene? <laughs> okay. I don't remember. I just the wanted specifics. to make sure. Like yeah, I did. Yeah, okay. For instance, yeah, yeah. And then uh, I think someone, maybe it was Michael Delaney, placed you guys in an elevator, of mm-hmm. course. I can imagine you guys knew that was about to happen. I don't know. No? I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was just, I just, that's, um, you guys have incredible group mind, right? Yeah, yeah. It just comes I think from that's what it is. Together. It's, yeah. it's chemistry, you know, and it was true almost from the beginning and then just got stronger and stronger over time. And part of it, I think, is because we'd all done a bunch of stuff before right. we got to the swarm. I had you know, been all over the country with Chicago City Limits. Delaney and Dave and Billy had performed together down in Florida. Mm. Andy Secunda and Andy Daly had done their show together. So everybody had a lot of experience before we even started doing stuff together. Nice. Favorite you know? short form game? My favorite short form game? Yeah. Um... It's funny. I just got a thing to audition for a short form show today out in LA, <laughs> a TV show with a guy who you you would be like, "Wow, he's really doing that." But Kirk Douglas. I'm not going to say who it is, but yes, it is Kirk Douglas. <laughs> Sinbad. Oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> Michael Douglas hosted the improv show in the '80s. I think he hosted like the original Whose Lines in Anyway. Oh, really? Pilot. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. No, I my favorite. If I had to go back, I would love to play Jeopardy again, which was a short form game, which was just about. Basically writing puns as quickly as possible. (laughs) And it was fun, you know. I would never – I haven't done it in 10 years or whatever, but I had fun doing it at the time. Yeah. We did a short form recently. It was a lot of fun. And we love all the short form theaters with the hat racks and all the coat racks. Oh, so many costumes. (laughs) So many costumes. Um uh, yeah, I've heard too. Uh, if we can hang out uh, with short form for a quick minute, mm. I've heard short form helps you play the game. Like maybe not find it, obviously, because because the rules are already dictated to you. But I've heard someone mention before that like I, he did short form for years, and then when he transitioned to long form, the tools of short form helped him within his scene work. Like he knew the minute the game was found, then he had the tools to play it. Mm-hmm. Kind of, he got that from short form. Good for him. Yeah, uh, I don't feel the same way. I. Uh... 
hear that, and it sounds to me like somebody justifying the time they spent doing short form. <laughs> okay. um, but if that's how he feels, good for him. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's great. You got absolutely nothing from short form. No, I had fun. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, feel more confident, more stage time. Yeah. Really. Oh, tremendous amount of stage time, which is huge. Yeah, you it know? is. I mean, I did short form for eight years. I did it in front of thousands of people at colleges and JCCs all over the country. Um, <laughs> so you got to you got to have your shit together to do that. You know, you you figure out how to be present in front of 3000 people on stage. Um so in that sense, I definitely got stuff out of it. But as far as it being useful to me in, in long-form sense or useful in terms of writing or anything like that, no, it was not. Um, but it was fun to be on the road, you know. Very cool. Uh, do you want to improvise a little bit? Yeah. Um, is that okay with you? Sure. Uh, do you want to – so we were talking about this beforehand. Do you want to try premise or organic? How do you want to do Whatever, it? Whatever. It's up to you guys. We've taken a word and go. We tried a pattern game once, and we were. Did we start the it. podcast yet? By the, the way, podcast will start after we're done with the set. We're okay. still doing our pre pre stuff, preview Great. stuff. Great. Uh, it's still sound tests. Um, what, what do you, Brad? It's up to you. I'm in the mood to do organic tonight. Yeah, yes. I love organic. Great. Let's take a word and go. I guess. Cool. I um, have a app on my phone. Not really, but I know Stefan will take too long to get to his. Um, the suggestion is lap. Larry? Yes. Roy? Look, uh, I don't know how to say this. But Just say it. You've been standing here for 15 minutes trying to tell me something. I yeah, I don't think we're going to use you as Santa Claus again this year. Whoa. Um, wow. A, a lot of the... Uh, you know, I, I grew my beard out. I grew, I've been growing my beard out for this. Yeah. No, I understand that. A lot that. of itch, a lot of product. I've been buying a lot of product to mm -hmm. make it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyway, I'm sorry about that. But uh, a lot of people were uncomfortable with the way you handled them. The way I handled the children? I have an authoritative grasp. Mm -hmm. That's something I'm kind of known for within the Santa Claus. You know, any troubled children, any heavy children. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not, I'm not afraid to get up under them and really lift them up. You know what I mean? Right. It was... I think there was just some some apprehension about what exactly you were trying to do. The right. way you were – the word I heard was manhandling uh, some of the younger kids in a way that maybe was inappropriate. Man, what does that even mean? I'm a man and I'm handling something. Well, it means you shouldn't have come on so strong, okay? Okay. Kid's six years old. He doesn't need to be – He was trying to grabbed run. Grabbed around the throat and pulled onto your lap. Okay. And told, give me what you want for Christmas well, now, and let's keep things moving. I mean, it's easy to say that now, but if you would have seen his center of gravity, it made perfect sense. Hit a very high center of gravity. I'm picturing that, and I'm still not able to excuse your behavior. Okay. I don't think it has anything to do with center of gravity. It has to do with the fact that maybe some of these kids, I don't know because I didn't see it for myself, right. but I heard some of these kids had finger marks on them after they came from their visit to Santa Claus. Really? That you would grab them so hard really? that you left bruises in kid. the shape of your fingers on their arms, their shoulders, and I was told in one case on a kid's throat. Well, then... I uh, I don't know how to explain that. I I do. Know. There's no explaining okay. it. You don't have to explain it. Okay. Oh, I'm, so, oh, I'm sorry. I'm here early. I didn't mean to walk, walk in. Roy, who's this? This uh, I grew my beard out though. Is this yeah. The beard you no, that's perfect. Before? That's perfect. Perfect. Okay. 
Okay. Um, this is Steve Dwyer. He's going to be our our Santa this year. Hey, Steve Dwyer. Steve Dwyer. Put it there, man. Hey. Ooh, firm grip. <laughs> Not as firm as yeah, me. Yeah, that's though. part of the that's part of the problem. Is the firm grip. Well, oh, okay. All right. Well, I see. I've I've been replaced by some younger Santa Claus. That's. It's not because he's younger, okay? It's because he's not going to bruise the children. Yeah. Put my knife back in my holster. All right. Okay. Well, that uh, that makes me a little nervous. What? Why does Santa Claus have a knife holster? No, no, no. Steve Dwyer has a knife holster. Santa Claus don't have a knife holster. By the way, I think it's called a sheath when you keep a knife in there. Holsters are for guns. Well, this is a gun holster where I keep my knife in. I lost my gun last week. I don't need to know. I don't need to know. Steve, what are you going to do if a little kid asks for a sheath for Christmas? That'd be ridiculous. We're going to give a gun to a kid? I guess you're right. Well, no, that's fine. Look, the kids are going to start arriving in 15 minutes, so if you could get... Your Santa Claus uniform on, or I don't know if it's a un- is it a uniform? Because there's only one Santa Claus, really. Yeah, yeah. To yeah, wear no, it, to wear a uniform. uniform, you have to have more than one person wearing the same thing. It's a costume. Right. So. Well, it's a uniform. It's just clothing. I think yeah. for Santa Claus, it's just that's just how he dresses. Yeah, yeah he wears just, a red suit with a black belt. Yeah. I don't know if he knows karate. Karate. Nah. Santa Claus. But anyway, could you get dressed and get yeah. ready because the kids will be here soon. Oh. Put my claw. I thought I like puns, so I bought some claws. You know, I'm gonna be like Santa Claus. I bought some a Freddy Krueger. Yeah, leave, leave those. Leave those, leave those in the dressing room. I'll leave those in the dressing yeah, room. Don't worry about it. Are, Jackson, we, are we working together? Is that my elf? Or? No, he's he's. I'm anybody. actually on my way out. I was uh, Roy's old Santa Claus. Oh, I'm sorry, Larry, but that's just the way it goes. That's the way the cookie crumbles. That's just the business. Yeah. Well, punching. Guess I'll be right seeing here. you next year. Jackson, you have you have grip marks all over your arm. What happened to you? Did you go to the mall like I told you to? Get a picture for Santa Claus for our Christmas card? Yeah, I went to the mall by myself like you told me to, Mom. And I went up to Santa Claus and I took a photo with him. And then he grabbed my arm and then he said something about how you don't always get what you want. And they threw me off his lap. I couldn't ask for the Xbox. Thank God. I am so tired of how entitled you are. Finally, a Santa Claus that can put you in your place. I thought you would say that, Miles. Yeah, I don't agree. I don't agree, Jackson. I think you need to go back down there and you need to tell Santa Claus that he don't get to handle you that way. Harold. No, don't let me let me talk to the kid. Okay, look, kid. You know people yeah. are going to take things from you in life, and you got to take back. So you need to go down there. You need to go punch Santa's face in his fat fucking red Santa Christmas face, and tell him, "Hey, I ain't, ain't going to let you handle me like that." Okay, step. You want me to go down to the mall by myself and pick a fight with? He's a big dude, but. Look, I don't want you to do nothing. This is what you need to do. It ain't about what I want, all right? This is about what you need to do so that you have a sense of self-respect and self-esteem and you grow up not being some kind of pussy who takes shit from people, all right? Yeah. Life is going to give you a lot of shit. You need to give it shit back, okay? And in this case, it's Santa Santa Claus who's giving you shit. I am eight. It's time for me to be a man, right? I didn't say nothing about being a man. If If I wanted you to be a man, I'd take you to get a hooker. All right, and that'll be that'll be coming in a couple of years. But for now, if I was you, I would get myself a knife holster, yeah, and put it put a knife in it, and just go down there and show it to him. Say, hey, look, I got this. You want to, you know, you want to come after me? There'll be consequences. 
Okay. All right, Santa, you have a the five minute break, and then you're going to be back having kids sit on your lap. Uh, I want to let you know that normally uh, we have uh, a different Santa Claus that I'm used to. Yeah, uh, but for the time Think being, that dude, yeah. for the time being, you're going to be given the kids who are a little bit more difficult to um, perfect handle. Yeah, perfect. If you don't mind, we're actually uh, we actually have quite a line. If we could jump on your break and just kind of get things going. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll skip my five minute break. All Let's right. Who's uh, up? Who wants to sit in my lap? Who's first? Oh, this. There's this kid that's pushed his way to the front of the line. That's not a way to be behaving on Christmas, little boy. Oh, really? Yeah, it's not in the Christmas spirit. I didn't say I had the Christmas spirit. Well, that's true. I have to compliment you on your ascot. It's very well Thank tied. Thank you. I'd like some things for Christmas. Is that a, are you a child or are you a little man? Be honest with me. I've been fooled in the past. Are I'm, you a young child I'm a or young are you an older man? I'm a young child. Okay. I Believe dress me. older than I, than I am. I've, you, you have a timepiece and a monocle. Yes. Pressed. Well, I want to be able to see the face of the timepiece, and I have one eye that doesn't work properly. <laughs> right. Well, well we got to get the mind moving. Why don't you just jump up and tell Santa what you want? Oh, well, why don't you take a chill pill, Phil? Yeah, Phil, take it easy. Right, get rid of my lap. Don't worry about it. Okay. I'm taking All off right. his name tag. Now, here's what I would like for Christmas. Okay. What's your name real quick? You gotta tell Santa your name. Let me guess. It's like Chauncey or something. Ha <laughs> good guess. Peter. Oh, all right. Just Peter. Peter. Yes. What do you want for Christmas? What do I want for Christmas? I would like a Prius and a rainbow shower and a rocket ship. <laughs> What's a rainbow shower? I don't know what that is. You can't make stuff up to Santa. It's not a rainbow come. shower is a shower that when you turn it on, there's a rainbow. That's... It seems very self-evident to me. All right. Consider it done. Don't exist, but I'll make it happen for you. Sure. Go ahead, go ahead and shatter the dreams of a seven-year-old. I just said I was going to make it happen for you, Chauncey. All right? It's Peter. Yeah. Peter. You're the one who said Chauncey. <laughs> I know. I'm not good at names, so I just sort of make them up when I meet people. All right. So I can expect a rainbow shower on Christmas morning. We cut to Peter's Christmas morning. Uh, there's a, tr- a beautiful tree, um, a large family underneath the tree is a gigantic box. Peter, go ahead, open up that giant box. I certainly hope I'm not disappointed when I open this box. Oh, Peter. <laughs> I hope so, too. All I've wanted all year was a rainbow shower. Right. But not... Oh, it's a Prius. A rainbow shower. All right, let's see. Open the box, Peter. Oh, oh dear. Huh? It's the Prius you wanted. Well... 2013 Toyota Prius. Certainly. Thank you, Santa. What's wrong? Oh, I'm crushed that I did not receive my rainbow shower. I suppose I'll spend another year without seeing a rainbow whenever I want. I just gave you a Toyota Prius. Yes, who doesn't have a Toyota Prius? Thank You're, you. Thank you. Yes, yes. That's I don't wonderful. have a Toyota Prius. Well, do you want this one? Because I <laughs> certainly do. Yo, yo, Peter, you got to respect your ma. You got you to gotta show her some due respect. She spent Please a lot of time. Please don't speak to me that way, stepdad. Well, don't I'm, call him stepdad. When I was eight years old, if I got a Prius, I would have thanked my lucky heavens. You're a lucky little boy. You should thank your mother. 
I think if you got a Prius when you were eight years old, you would have thanked a time traveler since they didn't exist back then. Good one, Peter. Thank you. I guess I would have thanked a time traveler. But, Peter, you got to be more respectful of your mother, okay? I'm just telling you. you got If you want something, you got to go get it yourself. You can't expect the presents to be coming and giving it to you. And you have to assume they exist. Rainbow Shower does not exist, Peter. I'm sorry to say. That's not a thing. Well, I don't believe you. But if you're right, it should exist. And if I keep trying to get one and keep hoping and keep pushing for it, perhaps someone out there in the world will invent one. Ugh, sorry, I broke through your wall. Uh, I'm the Santa Claus from down the mall. I couldn't help but overhear you guys' conversation. You could have helped it. You were outside. Yeah, I was just hanging out outside. Were you outside of our house, mister? You just bust in the screen door. That's an expensive screen door. Well, I'm Santa Claus. And I gotta give myself, I gotta give this young Chauncey here a rainbow shower. It's Peter. Oh, Chauncey. I've been thinking about your rainbow shower since last week, since you came and sat on my lap. Here, here's a rainbow shower. Well, it's about time. Thank you, Santa. God bless us, everyone. Call me Steve Dwyer. See you. I wish it ended on yours. So it was a lot better. And it was also Christmas theme. Well, we just we took a journey there. <laughs> yeah, we, we really did. did. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. So that was fun. I had a good time during that set. Yes. Thank you so much for playing with us. Of course. True, the true master. Oh yes, the true master. <laughs> wonderful, <Yeah>. wonderful work. <laughs> so, so the way that scene, we took a word. The suggestion was lap, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we went straight to Santa's lap, which is nice because we're recording around Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you started by pretty uh, laying on the premise that he was, or, or with a, the premise idea that he he was a violent Santa to violent to children, mm-hmm. right? So I was just mentioning that I was in my head the whole time at the beginning of that because I'm just like, should we cut to it actually happening? Uh, as far as the actual children sitting on his lap, I was worried maybe that will end up being like a, a something we didn't really need to see because it's already been you know described. Mm-hmm. Or I had the idea of uh, walking on as a, as, a, as the new Santa because if he's being like, oh, someone has to be Santa. That's what came to me. Sure. So that's the choice I ended up going with, but I kind of regretted it because I realized that there's something new. Unusual. There's like a second unusual thing now. Which, which was what? Well, the fact that I was also an additionally violent Santa. Mm-hmm. And then we're trying to focus on him being a violent Santa. We still don't know exactly why he was being a violent Santa. Right. At least that's what's going through my head. Or let me, let's go back a bit. I know this is, um, this might be difficult, uh, but we'd love for you to maybe, if you can take a step back and just give like, like uh, an informal sort of like give some notes or just sure. analyze what was going on. Yeah, I mean, I thought I thought I was very good. <laughs> I agree. And uh, no, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to do that when you're when you're in stuff. You yeah, know? definitely. That's why you have to have a coach when you have a group, <laughs> so the people in the group don't end up giving notes to each other. You right. Know? Yeah. Um. So what were the scenes? We had this scene of Santa being let go, and then right. Santa showing up. Second Santa showing up, and it cuts to the child's house. Jackson, right? Yes. First cut to it was, Jackson, you need to go. Why are there claw marks? Why are there finger marks on your neck? Right. Something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So we have the, the scene at home with the child and his two parents, mm-hmm. the mom and the stepdad. And the stepdad was influencing him to go back and then 
give Santa what for essentially punch Santa in the face. Punch Santa in the face. Well, you, yeah, you wanted him to weapon up, which yeah. I think is a great choice. <laughs> right, right. Well, I think that's just the reality. You know, is that yeah, if you're facing a superior force, right. you need to have superior weaponry, right? Or right. you're going to lose. Yeah. So if you're an eight year old fighting a grown ass Santa. Who has a knife get and a, a sheath. Like, get a knife and a lead pipe, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, I you know, I don't know. I don't know what what, what notes <laughs> well, to... The, and then the, the scene after that was uh, cutting to Santa at the mall. Mm-hmm. Ended up being a different, ended up being Peter. Peter right, because, front. and I feel like that happened because I think you wanted it to be the kid from the earlier scene. I, yeah. But I that was, was you. Me again. So. I was kind of, yeah, I was kind of trying to be a little bit of a dick and make Stefan do a scene with himself. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was ready to do that. It would have been terrible, but. Oh, don't judge it. It just would have been a thing. No, but I, I liked it because it didn't stay, it didn't stay focused on one thing. It ripped mm-hmm. the world apart, mm-hmm. which is nice. And Chaun, uh, I'm calling him You Chauncey really now. wanted him to be Chauncey. <laughs> I thought Peter was such a fun character. And then you straight denied him. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, great. I call it a sub game, but that's fine. Uh, and then uh, we had Peter who wanted a rainbow shower, then it cut to Peter's Christmas morning, right? right. And that was the last scene, mm-hmm. I think. And then then the Santa walked in and gave him a rainbow shower, or... Who knows what that was? Right. Know. Yeah, and that was our set. I thought it was fun. Uh, I will say I was worried we were focused on this on the one world a little too much. Yeah, I mean, it, looking back at it, it feels to me like it was a little bit, maybe a little bit too plot driven. Like we had to see this aspect totally. and this aspect and this aspect, without necessarily always having a game to hang our hat on in every scene. Um, which sometimes plot stuff can be interesting. I just don't know if it's always as much fun as it is to find that game and really let it get crazy. Yeah, I think you nailed it right there. I think that's... (laughs) And that's the kind of stuff I'm working on. I have an instinct, some some instincts. I'm trying to refine them as to really verbalize exactly what the game is, you know, Mm -hmm. and how I can rip that apart. And then... um, to me, my, my, the cut to or the going to different places instinct is how can I reapply a certain character somewhere mm-hmm. where that maybe that's the byproduct as it becomes plotty. You're just seeing where characters go. Right. When in reality, you shouldn't be focusing on certain characters. You'd be focusing on the the concept of what's going on between the two of them and, and, or, or, and see if you can rip that apart somehow. Yeah, and maybe like we go instead of going to – from Santa Claus to the kid that Santa Claus victimized, maybe we go to a different part of the mall where the chorus singers are trying to figure out which song they're going to do. <laughs> so it's still it's still that world, and we're sort of familiar with it. And maybe it connects later on somehow, but it's not a direct offshoot of yeah. what we've already seen. You know, yeah. spread the net a little bit wider. Mm-hmm. We went to the chorus singers. Will the chorus singers and all be maybe individually violent, or is that too close to home? Just I feel like that's too similar. Yeah. You know, I feel like it's like it's about discovering a totally new thing. Okay, that's the fun of it to me is getting away from that initial idea and finding new stuff. And then when you make those connections later, it's way more fun because you didn't see it coming. You know, um, I mean, maybe it would ultimately turn out that one of the cor- 
chorus singers is incredibly violent and fights Santa Claus at the end for no reason. Right. Because they're both super violent. I don't know. But if we have that in there right from the beginning, it's not a fun surprise at the end, you know? Yeah, it's another thing I also do. Um, I connect a little bit too much too early. I've heard that if you're doing a longer, if you're doing a full piece, like a full maybe 30-minute to an hour piece, you really, you shouldn't, you shouldn't call back things within the first two thirds, and then everything, in the, and then there should be nothing added in that last third. If you want to get like really mathematical with it, like when you round that up and down. Yeah, and why wouldn't you want to get really mathematical with something <laughs> as ephemeral as long form info? Um, but what happens? The, the analogy I always used to use when I when I was teaching is, and this was when I was talking about Harold, but it applies to any long form. I think that if you think of the first part of the piece as the legs of a stool, you know, if a stool has three legs and two of those legs are real close together, it's going to tip over. It's not going to support the entire thing. So you want those things to be as far apart from each other as possible so you can put a lot of weight on it. And then later they can sort of come together at the, at the top, you know, at the end of the piece. Mm -hmm. Sweet analogy. That's awesome. Yeah, I like taught improv for over sixty years. So <laughs> you and Alan Arkin, I have a lot of class uh, together. I have a lot of analogies. <laughs> What's your favorite improv analogy of all improv analogies? Um, well, I've already used two of my favorites, which is throwing diamonds in the ocean and the like stool it. analogy. I I like to always use the basketball analogy, which I'm sure people are familiar with, but. I uh, I feel like I came up with it myself, but that long form improv is like basketball in that if I gave somebody a basketball and said, here's a basket, here's a ball, have fun, they could do that right away and they would sort of get it. And that's your level one class. And then you say, oh, by the way, this is the only area you're allowed to be in, and you can dribble the ball while you're running, but if you stop dribbling, you can't, you can't dribble again, and it's from here, it's two points. From back here, it's three points. Um, also, if you foul somebody, a foul is when you hit something. If you do that, then, you know, then all of a sudden you'd be totally in your head and not be able to figure out, you know, you'd, it'd take a long time to internalize all those rules. But then, once you did that, you could be, you know, play the way that, professional basketball players play where they're not, you know, uh, whoever, um, Carmelo Anthony's not in his head going, should I pass or should I, well, he's definitely saying, (laughs) not saying, should I pass? He's saying, (laughs) I should definitely shoot When should I shoot? (laughs) Um, but, but it's not even a decision. It's just an action that they take, you know? And that's where you get to eventually as a long form improviser where you're not in your head going, well, I'm not supposed to do, you know, it's only two thirds of the way through, so I'm not supposed to make any callbacks yet. (laughs) You just internalize it and go, now's the time when I do a callback, you know? And, and there it is. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's my. So it's like always, you you no longer need your your instruments like Luke Skywalker in the end of the uh, original Star Wars film when he like takes away the sensor. Mm-hmm. He's like, nah, I, I got this. I yeah. know how this is supposed to. Well, roll. I mean, you're fucking up my basketball analogy. <laughs> Star Wars. But yes, yes. If Luke Skywalker was a basketball player, <laughs> um, he would not need his hands though. That, that's but it, it just you, you don't think about it anymore after a while. So early on, you think about it all the time, and you're like, well, this teacher said this, and this teacher said this. Right, I'm right, supposed right. to do this, but I'm not supposed to do this. And I actually had a guy break down in tears once in a level two class I was oh, teaching no. because, 
you know, he, he literally was going, but what are we supposed to do? <laughs> it was uh. a really, it was a very weird moment. Um, what did you say? Like, let's take a break? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I did. I said, let's take a break. And we were, we were on the 11th floor of an office building and we got on the elevator and I still remember it was myself and Eddie Dunn. I don't know if you guys know Eddie. Yeah, great improviser. At the theater. He's great. This was when he was in level two, and Aziz Ansari was also in that class. <laughs> and the three of us got on the elevator, and it was quiet about halfway down. And then finally, Aziz just went, That was weird, man. <laughs> uh, but it was just because this guy was so frustrated with not knowing what to do. And the point I'm trying to make is you don't know what to do, and you won't for a long time. So right. definitely be angry at yourself, be frustrated <laughs> with yourself, but also cut yourself some slack. You know? Yeah, definitely. Because it's fun. It's fun. It's silly making things up on the spot. That's the thing everybody forgets. They take it so seriously. Yeah. And it's like, it's so fucking dumb. Dude. You know? One of my favorite premises is fart bus. Like a bus that farts. You've so We've had several episodes. You brought up fart in every episode. Granted, farts are funny, but that's still, <laughs> you're punching that, kicking that cow a little too much. Kicking the can down the road. Yeah. Kicking the can down the road. Kicking the cow down the road. Uh, so do you think that's the pinnacle is like where like you literally don't think? I think so. Right. There's no like transcendent like Buddha form after that. I don't think just, so. Like, I mean, if there is, I haven't gotten to it yet. Right. You know? If it's like all of a sudden you feel like you're having an hour long orgasm, <laughs> I still haven't. I still haven't reached that. Yeah. <laughs> what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Right. I saw that show. It was really weird. <laughs> <laughs> a really weird show. I enjoyed it, but it was very weird. It sticks with you. <laughs> um. Cool. Yeah, let's uh, let's ask that's... a quick question. Uh, it's this is a question from the community, and it's kind of related really quickly. Uh, if I can just put it in, uh, what is the difference between being in the moment in a scene, being inside of a scene, and being outside of a scene and like objectively like removed so that you realize what the scene is, and then building a scene like that when you're actually in the scene, right? You might be thinking, oh, wow, all right, so there's three people who are cowboys in this scene who don't like gold gold bond. So what does this scene need? Where does it go? I'm thinking outside, where it's like on the inside would be like, man, I'm so caught up in being a, a cowboy who doesn't like gold bond. I'm just going to make my decisions from here. You know what I mean? I do. I think I know what you mean, and I think that is just a skill that comes over time where it's basically you're developing two different parts of your mind, you know? Um, you're developing the part of your mind that is able to be in the moment and make choices without questioning those choices and commit to exactly what's happening in the scene, but you're also developing that part of your mind that we would almost call the writerly part of your mind that goes, here's what needs to happen right now. And I think ultimately what happens is those two things become one and that's when you really reach the point of not thinking about it anymore. You don't consciously go, hmm, there's three cowboys here. They don't like gold bond. What do I need to have happen? You just do it. Whatever needs to happen happens. Righteous. And you have an hour-long orgasm. <laughs> awesome. Cool. All right. And uh, last but not least, um, you want to take a quick photo with us before we head out? Uh, probably not. No. I'll just take a quick – it's just on my, on my phone's out. Just a quick second. You want to maybe stand next to me real quick here and take a quick photo or – No, I, I'd, I'd rather not. I'd, I'd rather not be photographed. 
general? No, sometimes I'm happy to do it, but in this particular instance, um, you know, it's a, it's a Wednesday and I have not, uh, I just haven't felt like having a picture taken with you guys since I came in. Oh. Well, that's been improv noise. <laughs> uh, as always, thank you very much to our wonderful listeners. Thank you to our killer, wonderful guest, Mr. Sean Conroy. Thank you for thank, having me. Thank you to my co-host. You're very welcome. Thank you to my co-host, Brad Kula, our sound engineer, DJ Haig, and I am Stefan Schutte. Ladies and gentlemen, keep making it up. Peace out. <laughs> <laughs>